0: Our Bible reading this morning is taken from John chapter 9, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 12 from the NIV. We're talking of Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. This is the word of our Lord.
1: I recall several years ago when I was in youth ministry going to a youth pastor's retreat where a powerful light and darkness exercise took place. The location where we were staying was out in the bush. It was away from any city or street lights. So it got very, very dark at night. In this particular exercise, we were to spend considerable time in complete darkness, spread out and alone. And very soon, to my own surprise, I began to feel vulnerable, lost, disorientated, and even scared. If you think about it, we rarely experience complete and total darkness. Modern technology means that there is very rarely a moment where there isn't some form of light in our sight. So even at night time when we go to bed, there might be a little bit of light that sneaks through the crack of the curtain or the blinds because of the street lights. You might have the glow of an alarm clock next to your bedside table. But on this occasion for me, there was no light whatsoever. It was complete and total darkness. And after we'd had a good taste of darkness, we were then invited individually into a room where a massive spotlight was shone on us, one by one just like being an animal in the woods, targeted for the kill. And not only was it painful on your eyes, but it was incredibly exposing. I recall thinking to myself that I had never in my life felt so exposed. The power of light to cut through darkness is astonishing. The immediacy and the impact of that bright light stunned me and burnt an image in my mind that will always remain with me. Obviously, the exercise was designed to highlight the contrast between darkness and light, enabling us to understand and appreciate the sense of authority that light has over darkness. Darkness cannot defeat the light. Even the smallest flicker of a candle in a room of darkness stands out and makes a difference. I find it fascinating that the very first words recorded in the Bible of God speaking are let there be light. What a powerful statement. In fact, if God could have only ever said one thing that could have a permanent impact on creation, it's hard to think of a better phrase or statement. Let there be light. And it was so. Almighty, powerful, majestic, creator God speaks light into darkness. Into the chaotic darkness, light and subsequently life broke through. Light is essential to life and necessary for survival of life on earth. Almost all energy on earth is derived from the sun. And without light, the earth would be completely dark and cold. Even the moon gets its glow from reflecting the sun. Now, there are hundreds of references in the scriptures regarding light, including numerous remarks about God being light. For example, 2 Samuel 22 to 9 or 29 says, You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. Psalm 27 1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 119 105 Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. 1 John 1 5 God is Is light. In him there is no darkness. Today we are exploring Jesus' second I am statement. There are eight found in the Gospel of John, and we're working through each one of them week by week. He makes this statement twice, the first being in John 8, verse 12 where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The second being from our reading today, John 9, verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, as always, it's important that we appreciate the historical, cultural, and religious context into which these statements are made. Jesus never makes subversive claims into a vacuum. There's always a reason for what he says and when he says it. When we understand that, it really illuminates the text. When it comes to the I am statements, understanding again why Jesus chooses to say them at various points in time really helps underline the significance of what he means, just like we saw last week with Jesus saying, I am the bread of life at Passover time. All of the narrative and dialogue that occurs between John 7 to 9 is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was one of three great pilgrimage festivals of the Jewish year, the other two being Pentecost and Passover. Now, all three festivals revolve around the agricultural cycle. And this particular celebration marked harvest time. Tabernacles means booths. And during this time, the Israelites camped out in booths or tents for seven days to identify with their desert-wandering ancestors. Without going into too much detail, the important thing to realize about tabernacles is that it occurred during autumn. And autumn is the time of year where the days get shorter and the night gets shorter longer. In fact, if the celebration of tabernacles were to happen for us today, it would most likely happen or occur during that period of time where we shift from daylight saving to normal uh, time, because the days are getting shorter. And so part of their ritual included ceremonies of light that marked the passing of the season. So during a time when light is more necessary than normal because the days are getting shorter, and at a time when they are actually celebrating ceremonies of light in the evening to celebrate the light that led them through the desert, Jesus makes his I am the light of the world statement. John's gospel is rich in contrasts light and darkness being a prominent theme in fact the word light is used 23 times in John's gospel often a contrasting darkness and John will also compare particularly in chapter 9 spiritual darkness and spiritual light or uh, spiritual and physical blindness. A man who once lived in darkness experiences divine light, while ironically the Pharisees who claim to possess the light are told they live in darkness. This miracle is a practical demonstration of Jesus' role in bringing light. You see, over in chapter 8, he made this claim that I am the light of the world... And then in chapter 9, he's actually going to exercise and demonstrate just what that looks like. John 9 conveniently breaks into three neat sections. The healing of the blind man, interrogation of the healed man, and then Jesus' interpretation of the events. Let's briefly explore the narrative of chapter 9, and then we can explore more deeply and reflect upon what Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world. Blindness was a far more common in ancient times than it is today. Eye disease had few cures, and the unsanitary conditions, especially with water, increased the risks considerably. Now, unlike all the other blind people that Jesus heals through the Gospels... This man was born blind. What a terrible infection. What a terrible infliction. And this leads the disciples to ask Jesus, who is responsible for his blindness? Is it him or is it his parents? You see, in ancient times, there was a strong cultural belief that sin and suffering were connected. So therefore, this poor man's condition is either the result of something he did or something his parents did. Well, Jesus denies this false assumption immediately. He says that it is neither his nor his parents' fault that he was born blind. After making a mud plaster of spit mixed with dirt and applying it to the man's eyes, which in ancient times was thought to have medicinal power. Jesus tells the man to go and wash this dirt and spit mixture off his eyes in the pool of Siloam. Now, Siloam means scent, which John interprets for us. And this particular pool was the only source of spring water in the city, And therefore, it had ceremonial and religious significance. John, however, wants us to understand what's going on here. This man is being sent to a pool that is called sent. By the one who was sent of God. And so what John wants us to understand, that the healing power does not come from the pool. It comes from the one who sent the man to the pool. The healing comes from Jesus, not the pool. Now, the man is obedient to this instruction and he is healed. Now, the ancient world had very few answers for severe cases of illness and disability. So quite naturally, this dramatic healing causes a stir amongst this man's immediate family and friends and community. All of a sudden, his life had been completely transformed. Can you imagine? It's impossible to imagine being born blind and then being given sight as an adult. You would think that this incident would be a cause for a huge celebration. But in fact, what ensues is an interrogation. It plays out somewhat like a court case where this man stands trial over the legitimacy of the healer and his healing. He faces accusation, first of all, from his neighbours who deny that this is the same man, you must be someone else. They then take him to the Pharisees who had legal rights, if you like, and sat on the court to make judgments at the time. And the Pharisees aren't so concerned about the healing itself. They're more concerned about the fact that the healing took place on the Sabbath. And therefore, the person who did the healing was breaking the law. And so, surely, this person cannot be of God because a person of God would never break the law. They then appeal to his parents, and the parents do not get involved, they throw it back to the son. And the tension in the text builds. And the magnitude of this healing can only point to one source, and that is God. And so the healed man argues his own case. Since God cannot listen to sinners and God has listened to Jesus, surely Jesus cannot be a sinner. Now, ironically... The entire interrogation episodes with an accusation hurled at the man from these leaders. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? The very assumption that the disciples had made right at the beginning in verse 2 is the exact assumption that the Pharisees have of this man. That his blindness was his own doing. And therefore he was deserving of such a cursed condition. Of course they are wrong. But nevertheless, this interrogation ends with the healed man experiencing the very thing his own parents were fearful of, being expelled from the synagogue. The story concludes with Jesus visiting the now healed blind man. And having learned of his exclusion from the synagogue, Jesus wants to ask this man a question himself. Do you believe in the Son of Man. His subsequent response of faith, Lord, I believe, and his worship indicate that he no longer lives in darkness in any sense. He no longer lives in physical darkness because Jesus has given him sight. He no longer lives in spiritual darkness because he's now worshipping Jesus as Lord and Ruler and Messiah of Israel. And this blind man becomes a model for every believer who places their faith and trust in Jesus and experiences some kind of persecution as a result. In the face of his accusers, he stood firm and courageous. For him, it was simple. Only God can heal and Jesus healed me. Therefore, Jesus is from God. His life had been remarkably altered. Here was someone who sat at the roadside and begged. Here was someone who had absolutely no hope or prospects for any kind of joy in life. No employment, no family. And he experienced constant condemnation for being blind because it must have been his own fault. What kind of an existence was that? a terrible one. He was at the absolute bottom of the social ladder. No prospects whatsoever. And Jesus' healing has not only given him sight but now has given him life. In contrast, the Pharisees come forward to judge the man and Jesus ends up Judging them. The very ones who thought they had the light are now the ones being condemned and being judged. Jesus' opponents are physically sighted but spiritually blind. The blind man, however, has now had both conditions reversed. He has encountered the light of the world and he will never be the same again. He will never live in darkness again. What did Jesus actually mean when he said, I am the light of the world? Now, of course, he is speaking metaphorically. So what does he actually mean? Firstly, with every I am statement, Jesus is inferring his relationship with Yahweh, God who made the very original I am statement to Moses in the desert. Jesus is essentially saying, I am God. By adding a figurative example, Jesus narrows the focus of what I am means in a particular situation. And in this context, as we discussed earlier, Jesus draws on the ceremonies of lights in the midst of darkness to highlight that he is the exclusive source of spiritual light. Just as all physical life on earth is reliant on the sun for survival, so too all spiritual life is reliant upon Jesus for salvation. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. At the start of today's message, I shared a story of being in complete darkness. If God is light, then light is the complete opposite of darkness. God is the complete opposite of darkness. In the Bible, darkness is often associated with sin. Take John 3.19, for example. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Light exposes darkness. It cuts through like a knife through soft butter. In a similar fashion, the holiness of God illuminates and exposes the stain of human sin. When I had that bright light shined on me, I felt completely exposed and vulnerable. The light of Jesus exposes the reality of human sin. This is not a bad thing. In fact, It's fortunate. It's like an early diagnosis of a terminal cancer. You can choose to ignore it, but it will eventually catch up with you. Our sin leaves us spiritually bankrupt, Just like the blind man, we have no prospects of achieving salvation by our own merit or efforts. His life had been entirely hindered and hamstrung by his condition of which he had no control. He was born this way. You and I have no control over the fact that we will and have and will continue to sin. It is part of our condition in a fallen world. But God in his goodness and grace sent his son Jesus with the express purpose of rescuing people from their sins, reconciling man and God and commencing the project of restoring creation to its original state of perfection. John 3:16:21 sums this up so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. so that by it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Like the blind man, Jesus comes along and offers to heal us of our condition of which we have no control. How we will respond determines whether we will remain in darkness through rejecting Jesus or experiencing the healing that comes from having our spiritual blindness reversed. Light can both repel and attract. And as a result, there are two choices in which we can respond to light. You can either run from the light of Jesus, fearful of being exposed and vulnerable, choosing to remain in the safety, so to speak, or the familiarity of darkness. The consequences of this, however, are dire. A life on earth lived without the healing balm of forgiveness from our Creator, who we've rejected, and eternal separation from the very source of light and love and life. Alternatively, you can humbly... Walk into the light and allow the cleansing presence of Jesus to fill your entire being, enabling you to experience freedom from feelings of shame, guilt and regret, as well as granting you vision to see the path of life and walk accordingly. Jesus said those who follow him will never walk in darkness. If we humbly repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus, then we can be assured of our salvation and know that his light will overwhelm any darkness we face. A number of years ago, we had dimmer lights installed in our lounge and dining room to create different mood lighting. I really love the function of these dimmer lights. I got sick of always having a bright light when there are times when I wanted a softer light. (laughs) And I want to finish by suggesting that the light of Jesus in relation to our sinfulness is much more like a dimmer light than a sharp spotlight exposing us completely and leaving us to hang out to dry. As we come to Jesus, he will very gently and gradually highlight areas of our lives that are destructive and harmful to our spiritual and physical well-being. He always has our best interest at heart. Over time, as the light very gently and gradually gets brighter, we become increasingly aware of how holy Jesus God is. We also become increasingly, gradually aware of how unholy we are. And this only makes us more humble and more dependent on God's grace, which is the whole point, because it's never about you. It's always about his grace and his love and his goodness. Jesus is the light of the world. Allow his light to rescue you from the darkness of sin and spiritual blindness into the light of freedom, forgiveness, grace and the sight of transforming love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for... Your light that shines into the darkness, that exposes the reality of our condition. Thank you, Lord, that your intention is not to condemn, but for all who would repent and seek your forgiveness. Your intention is to embrace, to forgive, and to set free. And I pray for each person here this morning that you, Lord, might illuminate into each of our lives and very gently show people, through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, our need for you. And may we have the humility, and even the vulnerability, to confess our sinfulness and our need for you. And may you come and bring restoration and healing and love and light and life. Thank you that this is available to all who believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.